Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Uh, And I'm going to preach about keys and power. Uh, And we've been talking about God's presence and then what comes from living a life uh, rooted in God's presence. And uh, God's presence, as we taught about it last month, is much more than just emotions or sensations. Um, And so when you live from a place of God's presence, you're living from a place of relationship, connection, following him. So it runs real deep. And uh, God is always present. We try our best to be aware of it and make ourselves aware of it at different moments and times. And so that's a really exciting journey that we do together and that we do alone as well in our secret place. And so I want to talk about keys and power today. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew 16. We're going to be talking about the different kind of authority and the different kind of power that comes from being in relationship with Jesus. But specifically, we're going to really be talking about the authority that comes from Jesus versus the authority or the confidence that we glean from other things that aren't Jesus. And we're going to take a look at some of the things Jesus says about those things and how he to some degree confronts us about our reliance on those things. So if we want to find ourselves rooted in the authority of Jesus, it will require us to confront and decline other places of authority and confidence that aren't Jesus. So we're going to start in 16, and we're going to talk about these things and hopefully really understand it and relate it to our own lives, because that's the whole point of this thing, is to really be rooted and connected uh, in those places. But one thing I wanted to say before we read those things is, Love My City has been absolutely really, really amazing. That's our outreach team. Who's, who's on our Love My City team in this place? Uh, you guys are on the outreach team in this place. Is nobody in the second service? Oh, come on, Ross is right there. And first service, we had a bunch of folks. Love My City did an outreach yesterday to uh, the senior, uh, senior folks' home uh, in Tonopah, right? I got it. And, uh, and so anyways, they were telling me uh, that some of the needs they have for not just that outreach but also many other ones they do. And so we are looking to pray together on some needs, uh, some truck stuff, box trucks perhaps, uh, some perhaps small bus or 15-passenger vans to bring people to church. Uh, And then ultimately, this is part of the kind of desire is to have a Love My City chapter in town, uh, like a brick-and-mortar site that would be able to serve our city in those specific Love My City ways. So uh, no plans right now, uh, no solutions right now, but I just wanted to invite you guys to pray with me on that need. Uh, this house has grown to a place in terms of its outreach to the city where uh, it could use some more resources uh, to do even more for the city. So pray with me on that. Uh, let's believe God for it. Some people came to me after I talked about this in the first service with some options uh, from that. And so I want to continue to spread the word with you and pray with you. We love this city so much and we really want to uh, continue to do the work, but in an even greater work for this city. Uh, we love it so much. Man, do you guys love Vegas? I, I really love this city. I know some people come to just visit, but I've lived here since I was two, three years old. So I was born in uh, Sacramento, California. I only have like one memory of it. So I'm pretty much a vegan or a Vegasin or whatever you'd call me through and through. Uh, I'm a vegan through and through. So just pray with me on that, guys. We really love this city and, and, and believe in God for some resources in that. So that's going to be great. Matthew 16, we can start off in there. 
And we're going to be doing it a little bit different. We're not necessarily going to be going line by line, although we will, some, we will for some of it. But we're also going to take a look at the whole chapter of 16, which really paints a, a clear picture on our source of power and authority and also confronts some false authorities and s- false powers that we draw from. And in 16.1, we'll start there. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. How great is that? That's an absolute mic drop on folks right there. He said his thing and then he left. But what he's saying there is the sign of Jonah is, you know, Jonah's in the whale three days and then he comes out of it. And this is referring to himself. He's going to die and then he's going to come out of the grave after three days. So the sign that that generation was going to get was the sign of Jesus dying and rising from the dead. And that's an incredible sign. But what he confronts is this reliance on us uh, looking with our eyes to gain confidence through circumstantial evidence. And uh, this is a really interesting thing to almost pull from, right? With, okay, do I get my confidence from me reading the circumstantial evidence? Is today going to be a good day? Well, let me take a look at all of the signs around me to see if it's going to be a good day. You know, what perhaps numbers did I wake up to? What colors do I see? What did somebody say to me in passing? Was it positive? Was it negative? Did I get a word from someone? Did I do a certain set of things in my order of my day? And then we can find ourselves getting confidence from these external circumstantial things. And we could go, whoa, man, today's going to be a good day because these things happened or these things around me are circulating. Come on, I'm super excited about my life today. Come on, I'm super, super stoked, man. This is great, man. This is a great day. And it's an interesting thing to take confidence and to take power. Like I feel powerful today because circumstantially things are going my way. And so Jesus confronts this Okay, it's an adulterous and an evil generation that seeks a sign. So it's, it's not an adulterous and evil generation that sees signs of God and sees God speaking to them, but it's an evil and adulterous generation that requires and needs or seeks a sign in order for them to believe. So this authority comes from that which is seen rather than confidence in God that which is unseen. It's impossible to appease God without faith. So in our relationship with God, we can be the kinds of Christians that really require us to have things that we can see to get confidence in our relationship with God or in our life. And so Jesus is confronting this thing that gathers authority or gathers confidence from circumstantial evidence. In James, it talks about if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, but let him ask with faith. If you don't ask in faith and you ask in doubt or unbelief, you'll be like the waves of the ocean, which are tossed to and fro by the wind. So the person that is looking to circumstantial evidence for confidence 
will be the wave that's tossed by the circumstantial evidence around them. And one day it's going to be like, yo, today is amazing because circumstantially everything's working out right. Every track is just smooth and rolling along and I'm super stoked by it. Everything's good today. Today's going to be a good day. But that same person who's relying on his confidence from circumstances is going to think all hell has broken loose and the devil is on the throne of his life whenever the the circumstances aren't going their way. So the person here that's stuck in this place that requires confidence to come from circumstantial evidence has to shift and not determine their place of stability through their environment or their circumstances, but instead must anchor themselves in something deeper. The person who's going to be capable of withstanding the storms is the person who digs deep and sets their foundation on Jesus, which is the rock. We've got to go deeper than having a reliance on signs and circumstantial evidence to give us confidence that God is doing something great. God is good. This is a biblical fact, and it's an eternal fact. It is not one that shifts based on the day. It is not one that goes up or down. So if you want to have more stability in your confidence, remove it from your circumstances. Authority must be derived from something different than your circumstances. Authority and confidence must run deeper than circumstances. So the second thing we see here that as Jesus confronts uh, our gathering of confidence and authority from is in verse 5, it says, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began to discuss it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. There's a lot to unpack here. Here's something interesting. We look at the disciples sometimes in hindsight and we're like, what goofy morons. How do you not figure out that Jesus isn't talking about food? And we have the luxury of hindsight, so these guys look like idiots sometimes to us. You know what I mean? Because we're studying them and we're like, we would never do that. But we would never say that and do that because we've studied their mistakes. But if we were to liken it to our own lives, perhaps we can understand and see ourselves in the shoes of the disciples to go like, well, they had a real need. They had a lack of food and they had a lack of resource. And they were fixated on that lack of resource such that when Jesus tries to teach them something not related to their lack of resource, they can't even hear that revelation because they're so obsessed and fixated on their lack of resource that Jesus's voice is trying to teach them something and they're like, well, surely it has to be about this because I don't have food. And obviously God wants me to have food, so he must be speaking about my lack of food. And I can see this being really relatable for us. How often do we in our own human effort obsess 
on a lack of resource, obsess on a lack of money, obsess on a problem, and we're just like, obsession is clearly going to solve this problem, so I'm going to obsess on it, and if God's talking, it has to be about my obsession, uh, because that's what he does. He's going to speak to my obsession, and I'm going to obsess about it, and I'm going to worry about it, and I'm going to stress about it, and then it will be fixed. And meanwhile, God comes along, and he's like, I'm going to teach you something different, unrelated to your lack of resource, And if you're willing to take your eyes off of or not lend to the power of obsessing, see, this is the thing. They were, they had this obsessive mindset. They were focused on like, we we don't have food. We don't have food, right? I don't have money. I don't have resource. We don't have trucks. We don't have cars. We don't have, we don't have things. We don't have, and you get obsessive over this thing and you start to get so focused and tuned in on it. And then meanwhile, God wants to teach you something in the, in the space of need, something different. It has nothing to do with meeting your need. And sometimes that need won't be met for some time, but meanwhile, he's transforming you. Meanwhile, he's teaching you things. And so if your authority comes from your habit of obsessing over a problem until it's fixed, you're going to miss the authority that Jesus is trying to give you in his revelation. So we've got to be willing to leave certain places of confidence gathering, obsessive places, right? Uh, Looking to circumstances for power and authority, obsessing over something and be like, surely it's obsession that will get the job done, right? And we've got to leave these camps of obsession, these camps of looking for circumstantial evidence and, and begin to set our eyes on Jesus and go, okay, Jesus, even while I have a need, I'm going to hear what you're trying to teach me. I'm going to turn my heart away from the obsession over the need, and I'm going to turn my heart to learn what you're trying to teach me. Because what he was trying to teach them was really important, and it was a different set of authority and power that people would glean from. And that's the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees is realized or symbolized in what we would call religious spirit or legalistic ways of living Christian life. And we could probably see this pretty rampant in churches because we spend so much time learning about the word or being preached to or being preaching to others. We spend a lot of time thinking about the word of God. We spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, the right and the wrong way to do things. And so sometimes... We can gather confidence and strength to believe that because I know about what the right thing to do is, I have the power to do it. But the knowledge of right does not give you the power to be able to achieve it. So these two things are different, right? Knowledge of Scripture does not give you the power to be able to do Scripture alone, right? It requires a combination of knowledge of Scripture and to be Spirit-led. So the knowledge of God's word and also the spirit of God or the grace of God applied to our life gives us the ability to be that which we read about. So the knowledge of the law itself does not lead to transformation or repentance. The knowledge of the law, this is how you can get somebody that walks around church, real legalistic, real scripture-oriented, knows all of the scripture, uh, and is really judgmental and critical. Like, you might have met this character. uh, You might have met this person. You might have found out you really quickly hated them. Because some folks hate judgmental, critical people. I would encourage you to love them, too. They are people as well. Uh, And so if they are your enemy, Jesus says something about loving your enemy. So 
small note, I, I think some of the hardest people to love are the people that judge us. And so it, if, if you hate religious people, I would want to invite you away from hate and into love and forgiveness. And if you find a lot of them in church, then it's a really great assignment for your transformation process. Like there's no better way to solve that thing than to sit in it and really let God transform you in it. So maybe go to the most religious home group you know. And just sit there and go, okay, God, help me love them. Now, you won't find him here, I hope. <laughs> but honestly, it's okay, God, I'm not going to run from the thing that I'm allergic to and that I hate right now. I'm going to lean into it. It's going to be a love project between you and I. So the power that comes from religion is the power or the confidence that believes by knowing I can do it. But this isn't true. And this is why the religious thing becomes such a self-reliant, arrogant, prideful path. is because it believes by memory retention it can be like God. What an arrogant path to Jesus that is fraught with failure, that is fraught with stress, that is fraught with judgment and striving and critical spirit. It lacks grace. It has an inability to have grace. It has an inability for this because it does not believe in the process of grace. It believes in the process of legalism. It believes in the process of punishment whenever the law isn't met. So Jesus is trying to speak this lesson of taking confidence from legalistic religious things. But in the midst of it, they can't hear it initially because they're obsessing over their need. So be aware of this, is that a lot of times your need can be incredibly distracting, incredibly misleading to what God is trying to establish in your life. So we trust him with our need because he takes care of the bird, right? Takes care of the sparrow. He takes care of these things. So don't worry about these things. Jesus is pretty clear about trying to remove our stress, our worry, our anxiety, and our obsession off of those things and to place them on him. He will take care of us, and he will do those things. So we remove our stress from that and our fear from that, and we place it in the Lord, and he begins to shape us not only with wisdom in those needs, but also in other areas as well. So we see God invite, we see Jesus invite people away from gaining their confidence through signs, through gaining their confidence through obsessing over their need, through gaining their confidence through legalism and religious things, and we see God, I almost swiped through my paper, guys. I almost just, that was awesome. I've literally like pinching and expanding. and I've preached off of an iPad for five years. This is weird. So, okay. <laughs> and then it, it draws us into this next part of scripture in Matthew, and it, I'm not going to go over it line by line because we preached it just a few weeks ago, but it's about Peter getting the right answer with Jesus, right? Where, where Jesus is like, who do men say that I am? Peter's like, son of God. Uh, and he's, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then this is where we leave off, right? Or this is where we pick up. And I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, so Jesus says this thing that I think is wild. Like, that's a lot of power, and that's a big, big deal. And if we just slow ourselves down for a moment and really begin to meditate on these words, I think it gets really interesting. Because I, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let's reflect on those words, those terms there. Keys of the kingdom of heaven. So my son asked me for keys to this place. And I was like, what keys did you want, buddy? He's like, I was thinking all of them, you know. <laughs> to all of the rooms, to all of the outside, inside, everything, right? And I was like, wow, dude, that's a lot of keys, man. That's a lot of power. It's like, what did you want them for? And he's like, well, I think it would be cool to show my friends, you know. Uh, and then I was like, well, buddy, that's a terrible, terrible idea. And I, I said, no, okay, well, I appreciate that you want the keys to this place, that you want to, you know, hang out with your friends here, and that's awesome, man. I, you're not going to get keys, but uh, he had this desire for keys, and I just, I was actually thinking about it. I did a pastor thing, right? A little thing in life happens that's unrelated to God, and you start to think about God. You know what I'm talking about? I think it's just a, probably a Christian thing, too, but definitely a pastor's thing. And I was like, try not to preach about it. That's what I tell myself. I try not to preach about all of these little things I experienced in life that have me think about God, because that's so cliche pastor, right? But here we are anyways. Uh, and he goes, he, and he's telling me about these keys, and he wants these keys. And it was really interesting, because like he had this like desire for access. He had this desire for what it meant to be able to just get into any room. And I was realizing, because I've had keys to this place from the beginning, I've had keys to church for a long time, I was realizing, like, wow, that's a powerful idea to a kid who doesn't have keys. To be able to get into any room and to access anything, like, there's a lot of authority and there's a lot of power in that. And you get used to it when you have it, but when you don't have it, you realize, like, oh, wow, that's interesting. So I'm thinking about the keys of the kingdom in this regard, and it's like, wow, there's a lot of access, there's a lot of authority, and there's a lot of power in this. And I will say again and again and again, God's power, God's will. You can't separate these things out. God's power, God's will. His mission, he gives you power. His mission, he gives you power. His will, his outline, his path, he gives you power. Not your will, his power. His will, his power. Also difficult to do, his will, your power. If God gives you a mission and you're trying to do the mission in your own power, there's real problems. You're going to be stressed. You're going to be anxious. You're going to have a heavy burden. You're going to feel burnout all of the time. His mission, his power. The Bible's clear. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So if you are doing the mission of God and it feels heavy, and it feels very, very difficult to carry, I would propose to you that you are trying to carry the mission of God by your own strength and power. And I would encourage you to repent of that. And I say repent because this is mobilizing you to humility. You and I try and carry God's mission in our own strength because of self-reliance. This is an expression of self. This is an expression of pride. Guys, God gives grace to the humble. 
He resists the proud. What a counterintuitive idea to be like, God's mission, let's go. Self-reliance time. I'm going to do this for you, God. And you're trying to go about God's mission in your own prideful self. And then God is going to resist you. He resists you because he's a loving father and he's trying to help you understand it's not supposed to go like this, right? So if my son's about to run off of a cliff, I'm going to resist him. I'm going to try and push him back because that's certain doom. And this is why God resists the proud because the path of pride is one of self-destruction. So he resists us because he loves us. Not because he wants to hurt us, because he sees where his sons and daughters are going in their own self-reliance. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he's pushing back against this trajectory, against this inertia. It's a proper approach of a loving father to resist us when we are in pride. You want to feel it. You want to feel Holy Spirit pushing back on you and you going like, why is there resistance on this? It's like, wake up, Samuel, you know, you're in a self-reliant pride state. It's time to humble yourself. Because the source of my authority, the source of my power cannot come from self-reliance or my human desire. And we see this realized in the next part. Peter's so wonderful. I love him so much. And in verse 21, you see Peter take a little different approach, right? Rather than heavenly father revelation that leads to him to speaking and to acting, he relies on something else. We're going to take a look at it and see the confidence that comes from it. Power, uh, excuse me, in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. I'm going to pause there before we, re- we read what Jesus said. I think this is an incredibly reasonable human desire and response. Anybody that hears their friend, somebody they love, tell them they're going to be murdered by the people that that person likes probably the least... It's a very human, reasonable response for that person to go, you're my friend, you're not dying by those jerks. Maybe by somebody else, but not those jerks. No way, far be it from me, I'll kill them. This isn't happening. I'll stop them, no way, you're my friend. We have hindsight, so we knew Peter blew it here, right? Because Jesus rebukes him, tells him to... Tell us, get behind me, Satan, for you're more mindful of the things of man than you are the things of God. You're being a hindrance to me on my path of being obedient to Heavenly Father. So we know Peter blows it, and we know he gets it wrong now. But in that moment, that sounds reasonable. If I was one of the disciples, I might be like, dude, I'm with Peter, bro. No way. No way. I, we got some swords. We don't know where they're at, but we'll find them. We left them some last city or whatever, but we got something. We could do something. We're going to cut off ears. We're going to cut off heads. And we're going to get this done because no one's killing my friend. This is reasonable human desire, right? And so, and so we see, though, that Jesus confronts the reliance on human desire. And we see what he says here. I'm going to read it. And he says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
Okay, so some things to teach here. Peter is not Satan himself, right? We know this. But Peter's uh, commitment or allegiance to the things of man, his own desire, had him accidentally partner with the will of Satan. Now, your will and desire is not always Satan's plan, right? But it can be. It can be. And so when we recognize that our human desire could actually be the, the plan of the enemy, we really quickly realize, like, oh, we got to put our human desire in check. we got to submit it to God. So Peter was affirmed initially because he submitted his opinion and his uh, mindset to a heavenly father revelation that led him to say, you are the son of God. So he was celebrated in that. Peter, great job. You yielded your opinion to heavenly father. He shaped it. You spoke it. Yes. Awesome. Now, six seconds later, the next phrase out of your mouth, which man, I can relate to that so much. I've had moments where, wow, I just knocked it out of the park. That was a grand slam of spirit-led partnership. That was amazing, right? And I was like, I could see it. I know it. I'm like, God's all over me. Holy Spirit is upon me. Holy Spirit's in me. Holy Spirit's through me. And the next phrase, I've had it happen before. I was like, that was diabolical. I don't even know what happened. I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. I don't know what that was. And how could you be with God and be like, yo, I'm all in it, God. Let's do this, and you're doing it. And then the next phrase is just wrong. Okay, so what is it teaching us? It's teaching us that our confidence should come in constantly drawing from the well that is Jesus. Not in your own well. Not in your own will. Not in your own desire, no matter how mature you get, no matter how proofed you are in Scripture, no matter how doctrinally sound or theologically rooted you are, your reliance must never be on yourself. It must be on God. So he shapes your words. He shapes your way. He course corrects you. He changes your vocations. He changes your approach as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a pastor, as a leader, as a teacher, as a whatever it is that you're doing and that God has designed you to do. And when he tells you you're more mindful of the things of man than you are the things of God, you repent. You go, oh, <laughs> hands up, <laughs> I surrender. Hands up, I surrender. There is no other way to achieving God's power here on earth but first to choose to fully and entirely submit all of you to God. This is realized and affirmed in 24, which it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 16, I would propose to you, Matthew 16, is a chapter about power and authority. And it's Jesus' proposal that there's a lot of other powers and there's a lot of other places of authority that you can glean from and you'll recognize some of them in your life based on what he's saying. But Jesus' ultimate thesis is give it all. Give it all to me. Deny all of those very real power options. Deny all of them. No, I will not take that power even though I can. And pick up your cross and follow me. What he's painting is a picture of authority and power that's realized simply and exclusively through a crucifixion, cross-bearing symbolism. He does not use a symbol of victorious warrior. He does not say, deny yourself, pick up your sword, and fight with me. Like, he does not say anything about the armor of God. He does not say anything about a sling and a stone. He doesn't say anything about victory at all. What he says is that your key to finding life, to finding the fullness of life, to finding all of this authority and power in me is you die. And you did it today? That's awesome. So tomorrow... Do it again. You pick up your cross daily. Daily. That sometimes is a disheartening uh, qualifier to pick up your cross for me. So I'm like, man, I crushed it five days in a row. Picked it up, baby. I'm so, oh, wow, I'm crushing it. And then day six, you're like, I don't feel like it. How's that sound? I don't feel like it. Today I'm going to drown myself out with coping mechanisms. Oh, today's over already? Oh, shucks. Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself daily. Look, this isn't saying to deny your real emotions. Let's not apply this to some kind of sick, dysfunctional, emotional expression that says we cannot recognize truthful emotions. It's not what that's saying. It's saying deny the power of self. Deny the things that you would consider your life and choose the life of Jesus. You can do this with the tr truthful recognition. You can go, oh, I see who I am apart from God. So I'm going to decline that path. I'm going to decline that power. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Jesus is the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's other lords. There's other kings, right? There is a way that you can walk outside of God's will that will have you profit the world. So this invitation is not an invitation to follow Jesus because it's the only option. Because it's not. There's other options, there's other powers, there's other comforts that you can glean from. I would propose none of them are eternal. I would propose that all of them are counterfeit and inferior. That's my proposal based on Scripture, based on my experience. But there are other options, and we choose them pretty consistently.
So this journey is about recognizing the authorities, the comforts, and the confidences that we glean from and choosing to deny that option and to decline that option for ourselves and to instead take on the life of Christ exclusively. That's it. Do you tear up the paper afterwards, Tim, or do you file it? You just tear it up? I got it on my iPad. I don't think you need to file it. (laughs) You guys want to stand with me? Let's finish in prayer. Mikey said, no, I guess it was a question. (laughs) You do have choice. This is fun. It's like a good tradition. You can just tear it up and, like, burn it afterwards, cut it in pieces. Um, I, so this is interesting, right? These points where I get to pray, but this is everyone's journey, they're always interesting to me. Like, I could take authority in my life individually. I could take authority in this church family, you know, as for this church family, the house of God, how that goes, and my leadership here. But there's an authority in Jesus that you personally, yourself, must realize, You've got to learn to expel the thing. You've got to learn to deny the thing. You've got to learn to take on this life with Jesus. So my invitation for you is whether you've done it once, once, or a thousand times, my invitation for you today is to pick up your cross. It's, it's that simple for me. It's that simple for us in this regard. There's a lot of ground God's going to cover in the sanctification journey. There's a lot that needs to change and be transformed. But simply put, you remove all of the white noise. You remove all of the input. You remove all of the options. And simply say, will I pick up my cross and commit my life to Jesus? So if everybody could bow their heads and close their eyes, that's my first request of you. And if that's you today, whether it's your first or thousandth time doing this, I want you to take your hand and lay it on your heart. And I want you to pray to God to commit your life and to communicate to him you're picking up your cross today. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.